the Lord's heart? Yes. yes. The good news is you can have it. You can have it. Come on up here, Dennis. Reverend Dennis. Bishop Dennis. <laughs> so we wanted pizza. And uh, he came inside. We, we, we had everything in common, you know? We gave each other the scriptural kung fu test, you know? Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And he's as weird as we are, so we invited him to come speak, right? Amen. Amen. Y'all stretch your hands forward towards him, and uh, Dustin, pray for him. Oh, I can sit by my wife tonight. Hi, everybody, God. I thank you that you have sent Dennis, Lord God, with your word, my God. I ask Father God that as he speaks, Father, that your words will be in his mouth, God. Lord God, that our hearts will be receptive, Lord God, to God, to hear your word, mighty God. Soften, Lord God, to react to the to the things that you have, mighty God. Let us have ears to hear, mighty God, and eyes to see, Holy One. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> give me a couple more minutes to not know what I'm going to say. So that's good. Um, I'm going to open to the message in faith and um, just start talking and see what happens, all right? Amen. Um, I know you said take liberty, but really, how long do y'all normally take? <laughs> well, because here's the, well, here's the thing. There's a couple of things that were sung and said that gave some confirmation in two different ways. And so I have this inclination to just share a little about myself with you since you don't know me. But I also have a word that I do think is from the Lord, and I'm not quite sure how to... Both. Well, yeah, I, yeah but I... So I need okay. to... How, how, how important am I, you know, so, time-wise, and then... So we won't glance at the clock at all until nine. I can't help it. I can see it. No, no, I understand. <laughs> we won't glance at one at all until nine, and every 15 minutes after that, it needs to be anointed. Okay. So and every 15 anointed, minutes, anointed. All, <laughs> all right. Well, um... All right, I'm from Texas. I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And um, I went nine years ago for a three-month mission to Cluj, Romania, and I never left. <clears throat> I was not, I was one of those people that thought, uh, missionaries are great, I'm glad they exist, but I'm not one of them. And uh, my heart was really for our country, uh, because it's not like America's not in need of, of help itself. Amen. But um, I was... Uh, when I was a kid, we were American because we were Christian because we were American. You know, uh, I mean, we believed in Jesus, but there was there was nothing there. There was nothing. There was just nothing there. And when I was in about sixth grade, my parents decided we should try the church thing, so we started going to a Church of Christ. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Church of Christ. Um, service is about fifty minutes. You stand and sing the first hymn. If it's got more than three stanzas, they cut one or two of them out. Uh, the second one, you get to sit down because God knows you're tired after singing the first one standing on your feet. The guy gets up and talks for 20 minutes about what I had no idea. And then if you had a closing prayer of more than a minute and a half, there was just something wrong with you. 
And for some reason, when I was about 15, that just wasn't doing anything for my life. So I walked away from the Lord because I, um, I was born not uh, materially lacking, but full of fear, full of rejection, and full of asthma from the womb. And uh, I was an extremely insecure and fearful child from as long back as I could remember. And I uh, loved my family, and God's changed them quite a bit. But uh, there was not a lot of security coming from the parental relationship. Not a lot of uh, consistent love and affirmation. Not even, you know, even the discipline was inconsistent, you know. Either be easy or be hard, but just pick one. Jeez. It was really confusing. And so I was one of four kids, and what I remember is that no matter if I was alone or in a crowd of hundreds of people, I always felt lonely. And uh, I had a lot of unnatural fears. Some, you know, things like fear of the dark. And when I was five years old, I began to, I don't know, see, this is where it gets strange because this isn't where I intended to go. But when I was five years old, I started to see uh, things appear in my room, hear voices in the night and things like that. Uh, which is really comforting when you're already full of fear, you know. So I had a lot working against me, and uh, all I remembered from Sunday school was, if you have any problems, ask Jesus, he'll make everything okay. You know, that was about the depth of the Church of Christ message. No offense to them, I'm sure they're wonderful people, they just didn't do a lot for me. And I asked them once, how do you know you're saved? And he said, well, you just know. And I thought, my God, now I've really got a problem, <laughs> because I don't just know. So at 15, coming from a kind of, you know, I mean, we weren't broke, but we were broken. A very dysfunctional home. And I finally realized this. Not only have, do I feel rejected by my family, feel rejected by people, feel rejected by the world, but even God's rejected me. Because if Jesus loves you and he does good things for you, and this is where... I, so I walked away from the Church of Christ at 15, and it took all of six months before I was a fairly good kid uh, to being involved in uh, alcohol and drugs and immorality and just, you know, about anything that you could... It's funny, when you walk away from God, you can go down quick. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost like the Bible's true. Yeah. And uh, I discovered that sin was really fun for a season. You know, my first snort of cocaine, I was like, boy, they lied. <laughs> they told me how bad this was, you know. But after about nine years of that, you, you come to this realization that you're spiraling downward. And I met a student from a charismatic... Uh, actually, it's fun. Well, it may not be funny to you. It was funny to me. I was, in a, I was in a nightclub when I was 23 years old. I was dating a topless dancer, and I had a friend who was a Sunday Baptist. She would come night clubbing with us. She would drop X with us. She would drink with us. And her boyfriend would be there. She'd go spend the night with him. But she was up at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning and she was in church where she taught Sunday school wow. uh, because she just loved her church and she wasn't going to miss it. Mm, wow. So she comes to me and says, I'm worried about you. Yeah. And I want you to meet a friend of mine. She introduces me to a student from a charismatic Bible college called Christ for the Nations uh, where he began to take me to services and I found out uh, on my first service they didn't do it quite like the Church of Christ. <laughs> But after about 40 minutes of worship and being quite angry because I had just come from work and I was wearing hard leather sold shoes and my tie and all of that, we finally got to sit down at which point they had us pray for people. And, you know, I knew the position. You bow your head and you fold your head. Well, they shouted and screamed in, in languages I had never heard before. Uh, and then after that, someone came out to speak and I thought after 15 minutes, he's going to have a hard time closing this message in the next five minutes. And after five minutes, I realized he was nowhere close to closing that message. So in my flesh, I was really disturbed, and I was really angry, and I hated it. But when my friend looked at me and said, would you like to come back next week? I mean, I blew my own mind, and I said, yes. And there was something of life in it, you know? So even though everything in my flesh was confused and disturbed, and, and, and the hardness of my heart, I was angry, there was something different there, and there was something different in him. And so that kind of began a long walk for me, and 
You know, the one thing that, that I didn't like about it, though, is it seems like when we're coming to the Lord and we develop an interest or we begin to respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, what's the first thing that people do is they want to get real gentle with us. And so Chris, the guy that led me to the Lord, was very gentle with me. The people around me were very gentle with me. And nobody told me about the cost. And so what happened is I spent about nine years of my salvation struggling with my past rejection and the, the victimization spirit that probably 90% of you are under because 90% of the church is under it. You know, victim to circumstances, victim to life, victim... You know, I was praying, and this is kind of off topic, but I was praying in my dorm room at Christ for the Nations, and I was explaining to the Lord, if I hadn't have had these parents, I wouldn't be this way. If I hadn't had this family, I wouldn't be this way. If, if my friends hadn't treated me like this, I wouldn't have been this way. If I hadn't felt this way in church, I wouldn't have been this way. And, you know, I never heard God back then in my prayer. I thought I had a prayer life. I had a complaining life. I later discovered God hates complaining. But I thought I was praying, and God was good enough to come and talk to me, and he said, yeah, you had a lot of things that worked against you, a lot of negative circumstances and people that influenced you into the bad decisions you made, didn't you? And I was like, he finally gets it. <laughs> yes, and thank you. And then the Lord said, but son, ultimately who made the decision? And then I just got slapped in the face, uh, the face with this whole thing of personal accountability, you know. And realized suddenly I can't be a victim anymore. Amen. And from there God began a healing process. Delivering me from rejection, dealing me from, delivering me from insecurity and all that kind of And it worked on a personal level. Then he moved me to Romania, put me in ministry. Then he had to deal with it all again on a ministerial level. I felt insecure and rejected by all the other pastors. I felt beneath all of them. I, re I respected them more. So God gave me a good church split. He gave me a thorn in the flesh who worked against me. He used people to give me a bad reputation in the city. And uh, he's finally delivered me. He finally, I just, it's like, wow, thank you, God. They talked about me so much. I don't give a rat's butt what people think anymore. This is true liberty. I, mean, I really feel like I'm in a good place. Uh, you know, when I first began to minister, I tried to emulate my spiritual father, who's a very, well, first of all, he's very tall, so that was kind of hard. Uh, he's bald, which, I mean, thank God, right? Uh, no offense to anybody. But he's, he's a very stoic man, and he talks very deep, and he stands like this, and he just shows. And I tried to be him. And I would have 15 pages of typewritten notes trying to teach people from his material because I was so insecure. You know, I've got nothing to give. I just have to copy someone else. And God finally set me free to be myself. At the end of the night, you can judge if that's a good or a bad thing. I tend to be the kind of person that people either really like me or they just really don't like me. There's not much in between. Uh, it's, not in, it's not intentional. I, I, I always wanted to be the sweet pastor. In fact, when God first called me to preach, I was at Christ for the Nations. I, I, I said, I'm going to go for a year just to see what this whole Jesus thing is about. And after a year, I'll go back to my life. I was like most Christians. I'll, I'll give it just enough to learn something. Then I'll go live for me and assume that I'm saved and okay. Well, that doesn't really work very well. So about a year into this thing, God says, I want you to finish what you started. Okay. About a year into my second, uh, a year into my second year, towards the end of my second year, this guy's up there preaching, and I'm always blown away by preachers because I'm just amazed at how perfect they are, at how much they've done, at how much faith they have, at how nothing, you know, they're like men of steel or something, and I'm just out there, you know, in awe of this guy, and God says, you're going to do what he does, and I said, no, I'm not. I've seen these people, I can't do what they do, and I said, you know what, if you want me to do this, and I have to do this, there's only one thing. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to share my faults. I'm going to share my weaknesses because I've seen too many people that have, they've actually built on my insecurity that I look at them and I think you're better than me. You're stronger than me. 
you're greater than me. I can never do what you do. I said, if I'm going to do this, I want to come from it a way that the people that hear me speak can look and say, man, if that guy can do it, anybody can do it, you know. That they can say, God really does choose the low things, the base things, the despised things. You know, this should encourage all of us. I don't understand why people struggle with a spirit of failure, even though I did struggle with a spirit of failure. Because if we were just off track a little bit, all we needed was a good advisor. But it's because we were hopelessly depraved and desperately lost that Jesus had to come and give His life as a substitution for ours because we are failures. So the sooner that you can just look up and say, Praise God, I'm a failure. Yeah. And it's okay because that's why Jesus came. You can get over your little pity party. Yeah. You can get over your failure complex. You can begin to enter into what God really has for you. So, where am I going, Lord? I love it. Well, I'm glad it's good. It may have just ended. Um, I'm only 42. Senior moments. That's good. Thank you. So, uh, so well, anyway, through a series of events, I'll just try to get on. Uh, you know, God begins to uh, to work in my life, and I start leading a cell group in the church that I'm in. And, you know, I, I, I get a hunger for the calling of God. And... Um, and in that time frame, God was developing me for something. I mean, I had a cell group of six people for two years. And I was faithful to it because I figured if this is what God gave me, and these people actually want to learn something from me, I'm willing to give what I've got for them. You know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a jump to another topic and try to get to where we want to go tonight. Don't you love that? Preachers always say, where we want to get tonight. It's really where I want to go, but I'm trying to make you feel included and not look selfish at the same time. I, I, I've gotten much more polite in my older age because I say we a lot and I used to be I, 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 I. I was a rather narcissistic preacher when I started. Um, I'm also very sarcastic, so if you look at me and think, is that guy joking? Chances are, yes, I am. <laughs> I don't like to hear myself preach because I say some pretty stupid things, but I made the mistake of listening to a tape a few weeks ago, and as I did, I... I came to this point, and then I went this sarcastic tirade for about three minutes and then went back to the point. And the sarcasm was supposed to make a point, but if you didn't know who I was, you would have never known that I was being sarcastic. You would have just thought I was a heretic. So I've got some things to work on, and I'm open to any input that you might have for me tonight after the service. Um, but I was, you, you ever have a verse where you're reading, and something you've read before, you've heard before, but it just comes alive and it just kind of jumps into your spirit and you begin to get on fire for it. Amen. Well, I was reading towards the end of Mark and I came to the place where it said, these signs will follow those who believe. Amen. You know, in my name, they'll speak with new tongues. In my name, they'll uh, cast out demons. In my name, they'll, uh, you know, if they take up any poisonous thing, uh, drink any poisonous thing, they'll by no means harm them. In my name, they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And I came from a ministry in Dallas that, was, that moved a lot in deliverance. And I, and I thank God for the place I came from because we moved a lot in deliverance, but we weren't freaky deliverance people. You know, every problem was not a demon. Most of the problem is you, and the demons like to work in cooperation with you. So uh, it wasn't every rock, oh my God, a demon. No, no, you may act like a demon, but it's not necessarily a demon that's the problem. You know, my pastor has a great joke. He said, Sunday morning, the preacher walked out of the church. The devil was sitting on the stairs, and he was crying. And the preacher walked over, and he said, devil... What's the matter? Why are you crying? He said, because y'all are in there blaming me for things I didn't even do. And that's how it works with church sometimes. We blame the devil for things that we just refuse to face and deal with in our own lives. So, so as, I'm, as I'm reading this, I said, okay, they'll speak with new tongues. Okay, got that. You should hear that story, but I don't know if I should take the time for it. I was halfway through a haircut from a student at Christ for the Nations. He starts talking to me, finds out I'm newly saved. 
I, I was barely saved before I got there. He's roommates with the guy that led me to the Lord. He said, you're the guy. Isn't it awesome? And when you got filled with the Spirit, I'm like, uh, uh, uh. He said, you're not filled, are you? Said, no, no. And he's like, all right, well, you better go get a curfew extension because I'm not finishing cutting your hair until you get filled with the Spirit. Oh, <laughs> oh Lord. You know, and that's how it is for me. This is what it takes sometimes. I am, you know, better late than never. And I've come close to never sometimes. But it eventually happens. So anyway, so they, they forced me to get filled with the Spirit. And I find out that it actually works. So I said, okay, speaking tongues, got it. Cast out demons. Lord, I've seen it. I've been involved. Uh, I've prayed for people. You know, not necessarily I wasn't the guy, but been involved in prayer ministry trains and seen some, I mean, some radical deliverances. You know, some ridiculous things that you just think. I saw a woman get delivered. She had the spirit of T.D. Jakes. I mean, she's manifesting, shouting in a man's voice, I'm the spirit of T.D. Jakes, and you can't have myself. Okay, whatever that is, but seen some really strange and radical things. Uh, but it came to this part about the healing, and I said, God, I hear about it from India, and I hear about it from Africa, but I, we, we, we never really see it happen. I said, I want to see this happen. Why don't I see this happen? God's very clever, I found. And he came back and said, son, when's the last time you laid hands on a sick person and commanded healing? I could have something to do with it, couldn't it? So you know, I made one of those um, one of those very impulsive commitments. From now on, God, anybody that's sick, anytime, I'm going to pray for them. Suddenly, there's sick people around me all the time. So I'm praying for them, and nothing's happening, you know. And I'm like, oh, this just really no, stinks. Okay, I don't know. I say button sucks in church, but I don't know from church to church what's acceptable. But. <laughs> Okay, well then you'll be amazed at what I can be free to say. <laughs> so, I said the F word in church, but it was an accident because I was speaking in English and it turns out the word I was saying was the F word in Romanian. Foot is a bad word in Romanian. I'm like, you gotta put your foot down. And when you put your foot down, keep your foot there. Put your foot in. And everyone's like, what's so funny? Turns out I'm just being as vile as you can be in church. So, Wow, that's way off topic. Okay. Um, praying for the sick. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, listen, I, uh, New Year's Eve was the first night I've been up past midnight since I got here because it's an eight-hour time change. And I'm freezing today for some reason, so I'm a little off, uh, more so than normal. So please have grace. Um, so far, am I at least coherent? Okay. If you get bored, raise your hand and I'll quit, okay? Okay. Uh, but my, room, my roommate, what happened, I was in a commercial real estate business with my brother, and uh, I had a real success mentality. I didn't care if you were poor. As long as I wasn't poor, everything was okay. And I had gone into a lot of debt, and I had avoided paying my taxes, and I had some big deals that were coming through, and God in his wisdom just took them all away. I had one deal, contract signed, land ready to be developed that was going to pay me for the next three years if I didn't lift a finger to do another thing. And God just took it all away. And suddenly I'm in a position where not only can I not make any money, I don't have anything. I've got rent due. I've got about $55,000 worth of between my, my car and credit debt and things. You know, and I'm, I'm really in a hole at this point. I'm feeling like I'm called of God to minister. And now I've got this hunger for healing. And so a friend of mine, who one of my best friends from high school, who uh, actually gave his life to the Lord. I was able to lead him to the Lord. I performed his wedding uh, just two years ago. It's neat to see what God can do. He had a condominium, had an extra bedroom, and he said, listen, you can just come stay with me for a while till you get on your feet. You know, I'll, I'll tally up the rent month by month. When you have some money, you can begin to pay it off. So he's, he's a, a marathon runner, 
And he came home one night, two days before a marathon, and he had injured his uh, right knee. And so I'm thinking, okay, I've been hungry for healing. I've been talking about this. You know, I've been praying for people. Nothing's happening. Maybe this is the time. So I just boldly looked at him and I said, Craig, I can close me if you'd like me to do that. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, okay. And I thought, whoa, okay. Well, I wasn't expecting that. So I'm like, well, i got to put my hand on your knee. Don't, is that okay? Don't think any, you know, two single guys. So let me put my hand on your knee, brother. So I put my hand on his knee and I, I prayed, uh, commanded healing into his knee. And the next day he went out running and he came back and he said, man, there's nothing. No problem at all. He ran the marathon Amen. the next day. And it was shortly after that he gave his life to the Lord. So Amen. I thought, okay, a knee. It's something, right? It's a start. So I, I told you that to tell you this, that when I got to Romania and I was doing this three-month mission and then I, I got asked to stay and direct a Christ for the Nations Bible School there for a year, during that time I heard about this uh, guy named Mike Fox. He's, he's, he's literally insane. He's an evangelist from Arizona and he works down in the jungles of South and Central America. Uh, he's kind of like you. He's always having guns and things pointed at him. You know, like he had uh, the cartels had uh, AK-47s on his on him and his team. And by the time they went away, they had Jesus loves you stickers on their guns. And he's he's really radical. So I heard about this guy that he had uh, stickers. Yeah, nice stickers, man. So that's a true story. I didn't make that up. So he, he, he I hear about this radical guy and. They said, you really should go see him. So I took a team from the Bible school, and we went where he was doing a campaign to the gypsy people. It was like 500 gypsies crammed in this culture hall, and they're nuts. So I went backstage, because I was actually kind of concerned to stay down there about what might go on. And as I'm standing backstage, the presence of the Lord came down in a really unusual way, like one of those times when you're kind of, what's going on? I think this is God, or either that, or I'm just freaking out and about to die. And I heard this, be ready, you're going to pray tonight. And I just immediately began to rebuke the spirit of pride because I thought, oh, because I direct this school, I'm here, I'm thinking that they should use me. But I couldn't shake this feeling. And this guy comes out and he gives this very simple Jesus saves, heals, and delivers message. And then he just looks out there and he says, now everybody who's got someone here with you who's deaf, bring them down front and God's going to heal them. And I was like, that's bold, you know. I'm used to like, well, let's just pray and see what happens, you know. And then he's just like, bring them down here, God's going to heal them. I was like, okay. And he calls this guy up, and he's about a 40, 45-year-old gypsy guy, born deaf, never spoken. Uh, he's about six foot four. I don't know. He's pretty tall, pretty big, stout guy. And as he's walking over to pray for him, I get really excited because, you know, you can't help but think, is this it? Is this the moment that what I've heard about in Africa, what I've heard about in India, that I'm actually going to get to witness this, this truth about, about this book that we all say we believe, but, but for some reason we don't experience the way that we should, you know? I mean, this is supposed to work, right? Yes. Yes. And we talk about it, and then go, yeah, 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 but well, then why don't we see it? I mean, really, why don't we see it? It's because we're chickens, that's why, but we'll get into that in a little bit. The chicken spirit. Go. <laughs> so he's walking to the guy like this. I'm backstage excited, and he stops. And he just shouts, Dennis! Dennis, where are you? Dennis, come on out here. And he's like, ooh, you know. My stomach is now down into my knees. And I'm thinking, so I'm kind of, and he tried, he's all excited. Praise God. God said, you've got the anointing. Get over there and pray for that man. God said he's going to heal him. And I'm just like, oh, crap. You're supposed to. Really, I'm, ter I'm terrified. And you're supposed to have your confession of faith, you know? That's what charismaniacs teach. You're going to have your confession. So I made my confession of faith. I said, Lord, I don't have faith for this. And I'm like, I don't know, you know he's deaf. This isn't a knee. This, I can't just go, oh, pray for your back. No, do what you couldn't do before. That's on you, brother. You know, he's deaf. So I walk up and I'm just like, 
And I just said, you know, Lord, if you don't do this, there's nothing going to happen. All I can do is have enough faith to obey your word, which said if I lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. So I don't know what hit me because I reached up and I grabbed him by the ears and started shaking his head. And I started screaming and I was like, I rebuke you, you deaf spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you. I command these ears to. And it's like God's presence just falls. And I take my hands off and they come over to our test him and he can hear. Whoa. And I'm standing there. I'm standing there like the presence of God is so thick and I'm like I'm just I'm blown away because I was hoping to see something I never in my wildest dreams that I imagined you know I'm because I'm used to I'm used to Christian television they're not they, no, nobody's going to take my miracle you know I'm going to get all the glory and then talk about how good God is and he's like bringing me out there putting me center stage to put me into that place that I would it's like you know getting half a haircut and being forced to be filled with the Spirit. God knew what it was going to take to get me out there. And, you know, it's like the way the saying in Romania, sometimes a kick in the butt is a step forward. Really, that's the saying. And it's, it's really true, because God kicked me out there several times. So, as I, I love it! I'm glad you like it. Okay. So as I'm standing there in the presence of God, enjoying what He just did, He looks out there and says, Now everyone who's deaf, get up here. He's going to pray for all of you. You're all going to be able how many miracles do you think you have to see before you're willing to pray for anyone that needs a miracle? Uh, it's about this many. So there were, I don't know, 10 or 12 other people. Now, they weren't all healed, but three or four other people were healed instantly on that stage. It was Praise just really God. incredible. But here's what happened from there. Uh, from that moment, there was just this release that came. And people were just coming to the Bible school. Students were grabbing them off the street. And the strangest situations were happening where people were coming. I mean, there was a woman who drank a poison soda. Only in Romania could you get hold of a poison soda. She drinks it. She passes out in a coma. She wakes up three days later, and she's deaf. So she comes for prayer. So we pray for her, and God opens one of her ears. Well, she's excited, and I'm confused. Because half a miracle doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, aren't you an all-the-way God? I mean, what's going on here? So I pray for her again. And I pray for her again. And I get madder and I pray for her again. I pray for her again. And finally, on the seventh time, I was so frustrated. I said, this is, you can't hear that? And as soon as I snapped, oh, oh, I can hear that. I was like, that was just a frustration snap. There was no faith behind that. But this is what opened her ear, you know? It was really incredible. And so she gets so excited, she asks us to pray for her husband who's in the hospital with double kidney failure, and he's having his kidneys removed the next day, and he's going to be on dialysis, hoping that they get a transplant before he dies. So I said, yeah, let's go. She said, well, you can't go in. He's in intensive care. They won't even let me in. I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm understanding the lay hands on the sick and they recover, Lord, but I'm not understanding the can't lay hands on the sick, what the heck to do situation now. And he reminded me of the Roman centurion servant. Where he said, Lord, I'm not even worthy of coming under my roof, but if you just say the word, then my servant will be healed. So well, I can do this. So I was like, well, where's the hospital? I literally pointed myself in the direction, rebuked the kidney failure, and the next day, the guy looked so much better, they tested him, he was at 80% function, and they sent him home. So now I'm really getting blown away. You know? And from that moment, uh, from that moment, then we had a student come in, and they brought this guy with a withered hand into the classroom. And, hey, you got to pray for this guy. I'm like, where'd you from? I don't. He was on the street looking at his hand. I said, you got to come to our school. There's stuff happening. So, all right. So we pray for him. Whoop. He takes the microphone, then testifies with what was just formerly his withered hand. And I'm, I'm like looking at this. I was like, you know, this, now this is the kind of Bible I've been wanting to believe in. This is the kind of Bible I've been wanting to experience. This is really the kingdom of God coming. And I can honestly tell you that I have about a 50% success rate with deaf people. Uh, deaf, deaf. I would like to have that with deaf people. 
Uh, and we've seen everything from blindness and kidney stones. I mean, we went to the, the, the we got invited by a nurse to the cancer hospital where a little three-year-old girl had leukemia. And she was bald from the treatment, really sweet little girl. We prayed for her. And after we prayed, she told her mom that an angel came and put his hands on her legs while we prayed. I said, when is the next test of her blood? She said, they're doing a test tomorrow. Next day, the nurse calls me. It's documented. There is no leukemia in her blood. She's healed. So we get called back again. And this time it's for a one-and-a-half-year-old that's got an inoperable brain tumor behind the left ear. I mean, you can see it. She hasn't eaten for days. She's really agitated, has no peace, can't sleep. So we rebuked the tumor. We commanded it to go. Nothing visible, but they called the next day and said she came into peace and she began to eat. And over the next two to three weeks, it just gradually disappeared. And she was completely healed and let go. Uh, we've had, I mean, everything. I mean, uterine cancer and tumors that have just disappeared when we prayed overnight. We had this 28-year-old woman come. See, here I go with stories and I wanted to preach. Uh, we, had a, we had this 28-year-old woman come to the church, and she was the mistress in an adulterous affair. You know, nothing like church to bring in the righteous. But uh, we're not here for the righteous. We're here for the sick, right? Amen. So thank God. I love it when God brings people like that in. Uh, in fact, where we just relocated the church, we're on the street where all the prostitutes are. We've got ladies in the church saying we're going to start making coffee and hot chocolate, and we're going to go out there Monday night after intercessory prayer and Wednesday night after service, and we're taking them hot soup, and we're going to take them hot tea, and we're going to take them hot coffee, and we're praying. I'm like, I've never been so excited. People that want to reach prostitutes. Amen. This is so cool. See, I'm used to a church of people that want to minister to their butts on a comfortable seat while I speak, and they might say amen. So it's nice to see this changing. But uh, again, where was I going? Ah, the woman that came in with the, uh, the adulteress, the mistress of the adulteress affair. And uh, she's upset because she just found out she has uh, tumors and ovarian cancer, and they want to do a radical hysterectomy. She's never had kids. She wants to have kids. Of course, my first thought is, well, we've you know, we got to deal with something more than you wanting to have kids. we got to deal with your eternity here. And the way you're living, you're going straight to hell, woman. Jesus did something more than come to just deliver you from tumors. He came to deliver you from yourself and your life. And so through a short conversation, she gives her life to Jesus Christ. We pray for her. One week later, there she is with the paperwork. She's been healed. We had another lady come into the church, and she had uh, hepatitis C, I think. It was B or C. I don't know. C. C? Okay. Well, I'm glad somebody knew because I didn't. <laughs> hepatitis C, and her daughter had scoliosis, and she calls us to her apartment, shares her story. So, oh, well, let's just pray for you and see what happens. And so we prayed for her. We prayed for her daughter. She comes back the next. She comes back the next week. She says, I don't have any more pain here, but I don't have money to go to the doctor. So I give her the 50 lay. She goes to the doctor, comes back, boom, healed, totally clear. Her daughter, she comes and goes to the children's thing that we're having this carnival where she hasn't. She's been in pain for 10 years. Her daughter's 12 years old, and since two, she's been in pain. She goes and runs and plays. But she hasn't had a problem since that day, you know. So just what we've seen God do since since that moment when I began to take, to get hungry for a revelation or about a revelation He gave from His Word, uh, it's been really radical to see what the Lord will do. And the reason I'm sharing all that isn't so that I can look cool and go, "Hey, the missionary is here and look what I've done." Although in my flesh it's kind of cool that I get to stand up and tell those stories. Uh, but glory be to God, right? I mean, really, if you think about it, it's hard to take pride in that. Oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense that these hands that used to be given to all kinds of unrighteousness can now go on the ears of a person with an incurable deafness, and they can hear. Sure, that makes sense. I'll take credit. That doesn't make any sense. It's totally illogical. I mean, how can a person take the credit for that? Amen. Besides, fruit doesn't qualify the minister anyway. If we don't judge by character, we're in trouble. And by the way, we are in trouble because we don't judge by character. We judge by, uh, you know, gifts and uh, charisma nowadays. But, um, but what I wanted to get to with all of that was this. It began with hunger. Those 
who are hungry, those who are thirsty. These are the ones that get filled. Amen. And I realize that there's much that we hear about and there's much that we receive and there's much that we mentally accept and believe. But until we get a hunger about something, it really doesn't cause us to go after it. And until we go after the things of God, we're really not going to experience all that He has to offer, you know. And there's such a great word from Jesus, Do not fear, little flock, for it is the Lord's good pleasure to give you His kingdom. Luke 12, 32, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you look at it, you're in... Oh, that's good, because I, I love that verse. It's really encouraging. And the, and the Lord stands out and looks at him like, well, it's a little flock here, right? Yeah. You know, in our eyes, sometimes we think, well, we're just insignificant. We're not a mega church. We don't have all the abilities and the finances. God doesn't need that. No. I mean, really, the day that, you know, I have lost more support since I've been in Romania than I have right now. I live better than I did, and the church is doing more than it did. Amen. And if I sit down, someone told me, why don't you make a budget? I said, because I don't want to lose my faith. If I make a budget, it won't make any sense and it'll be discouraging. But when you operate in faith, you, yeah, you live, well, you live without stress that way. You know, I went from a place of facing bankruptcy for three years, developed a grinding of my teeth habit, still wear a guard from it to save what's left, and now I live in financial peace even though it was much easier for me back then. You know, that's just the way that God works. He takes you through things in order to teach you and deliver you from those things of self and those... Lord, give me some direction here because I could just get carried off in so many ways. Um, I've got a real heart to see people delivered from themselves. The problem is most of us don't have the heart to be delivered from ourselves. And when I go in that direction, that's when people start to get angry at me. And there's one thing, really, I want to be the sweet preacher. I've come to church and I prepared a dessert message and the Lord still took it and made it like a hammer, you know? And I finally just had to accept that I'm going to function and be who God called me to be. Uh, but I'm looking at all of you, and I'm like, I really do want you to like me when I leave, you know? Those people that think as ministers that we, you know, that we get excited about confronting and giving hard words and, you know, bringing, the, you know, bringing that word that really cuts and penetrates and divides, it's not a matter of like, gee, this is how I want to be. It's a matter of what's necessary for the health of the body. Amen. And when we don't know how to divide between soul and spirit... You know, when we can't get to the, the thoughts and the intents of our heart, but only the Lord can. Well, you know, my job isn't to make you happy. It's to get us to a place where the Lord can begin to separate and reveal so that what rises up can be pure Amen. and purified, you know, Amen. and something that can be fruitful and effective for Him. Because I, I have one desire. You know, it's great if you all pat me on the back tonight and say, what a great job you did. But really only one matters ultimately, and that's when I'm standing before him, and I want to hear the words, well done, yeah. good and faithful servant. Yeah. I'm 42 years old, and it's gone fast. I mean, the, the first half was a drug-induced alcoholic coma, you know, and since I was 24 now, I've been walking with the Lord and learning to grow in this thing, and I, I've come to realize, you know, 82 years old is kind of, it feels like it's around the corner in a way. Yeah. I just know that you can wake up and it's all gone. What does this pat on the back from you matter tonight? When for eternity, all I really need to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. We've got to come to a place where what we hunger for is the affirmation that we need. Not the affirmation that we think is going to bring a temporary reprieve or a, you know, a moment of uh, fulfillment, but nothing that's going to... Do you, do you want what lasts? I mean, the only thing that lasts is really going after Him for the things of eternity. That's really it, you know? I'm, I mean, I'm 42 and I'm single, and the reason I'm single is not because I'm a jerk, I don't think. Uh, I was engaged to a gorgeous Romanian girl, and I'll tell you how gorgeous she was, so gorgeous, I was even kind of like, man, how'd this happen, you know? 
uh, and I and I was I was uh, about twice the man that I, I was back then. Uh, I was a little, you know, I, I went from America to Romania, and so there was a nice, uh, you know, it worked in the right direction for me. I lost about thirty-five pounds uh, being over there, but uh, but it just wasn't working. There wasn't a heart for ministry. I mean, she loved God, but there wasn't a heart for ministry. There wasn't the heart for people. She was more concerned about her attention and her needs. She was a typical Christian. Me, me, me. Give me more milk. Feed me. Give me something sweet. Motivate me, you know. And I realized with what we're facing over there, you know, America's had 200 years of spiritual breakthrough. You may be on the decline now, but there's, a, there's an element of the atmosphere here that's easier. And being over there, we're in a place where in the history of that nation, there has never been a revival. There has never been a spiritual breakthrough. And so for me, I'm excited to be in a place that we're on the verge of being a part of something that's not just historic, but that's never happened before, you know? So that, that's why Romania is so exciting for me. It's not because, you know, it's easier or smoother over there. It's actually a lot more difficult. It's a lot more oppressive. Uh, there's a lot of strongholds over the culture that it just seems like, Lord, is this ever going to break? Are we ever going to break through? But I'm not there for nothing. And I haven't seen the things that God has done and experienced the things that He's shown us for nothing. You know, yeah, it, It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I live for now. Amen. I mean, do I want to get married and have a family? Sure, who doesn't? Anyone normal, I suppose, unless you've got Paul's gift, which I asked the Lord and He told me no. And I said, thank God, because I didn't think I had it either. <laughs> you know, but, but if I die single, I'm not going to be upset with God. Because I've just come to the place where I'm more in love with Him than I am with anything else. Amen. You know, I, I, I've experienced a lot of what the world can offer, and it just it doesn't measure up. And yet I see the church trying to adapt itself in a way to where we can praise God but still live according to the world can offer. You know, trying to fulfill our souls and trying to fill the emptiness inside uh, with everything else. And, and let's be honest, it's easier here. You know, it's so easy here to fill yourself with so much stuff. I mean, I came home and in two weeks I had the victory of, you know, loosening my belt and I should praise God for that. That's the sarcasm coming through. In case you know. um, but anyway, this is really where I wanted to get to and I think I'm doing okay on the time, huh? I wanted to tell you that to encourage you, but I, I really want to tell you those things come with a cost. The night before that gypsy campaign when all of the healings began, after four years of being free from an inhaler, which I have in my pocket, four of us were hit with asthmatic problems. Intensely, like we hadn't experienced in years. A lot of black magic, a lot of curses, a lot of witchcraft going on. Now, I can't explain to you why, because I stand on the verse that says, you know, witchcraft will not rest on God's people, and I'm one of God's people, right? But yet there I was, struggling physically. And from that moment... I, and I thought it for a month. that This is not going to come on me. This is not, well, a month later I'm in the hospital. going, well, okay, maybe I should consider some medication at this point. And since that point, I've been medicated for it. But if you ask me to take the choice, me, be free, me being free of asthma or experiencing the kingdom of God in the way that I've experienced, well, I'll take what I've got. Uh, but I think God said, it's, I don't have to make that choice. I do believe that there's healing for me. Amen. And I plan on walking into it. And I plan on making a fresh push for it this year. But... Uh, but the reason I wanted to share all that was to encourage you that uh, if you're willing to get hungry and you're willing to, to pay the cost, there's a lot available for us. I preached last Easter a message called, This is Supposed to Work, and I basically went through all the promises of Jesus about the power and the authority that He's given, about the things that we should be freely walking in, about the signs that should be following us. 
And the title of the message was, This is Supposed to Work. And every point that I got to people, this is supposed to work. It's not supposed to be a theory. Christianity is not a good philosophy. It shouldn't be sitting in the coffee shop rubbing your goatee or beard or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's very interesting, I see. And espousing your ideas and your beliefs. It should be a reality. It should be something that you're out walking in. It should be something that's flowing through you. And it shouldn't even be, people should not be living vicariously through the pastor. You know, I tell my church, I reach, I live in a foreign country. And I mean, I can speak Romanian, but not like they can. And I reach out more than most of the people in the church. And, if, and I've got every excuse in the world. I'm a foreigner. I don't know the language like you do. I'm surrounded by a church environment. And on top of that, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And I'm out doing it more than most of the people in the church. And it's not because I'm a harder worker. It's because that's how much I've seen what God can do. That's how much I've seen what the power of the Lord can produce. That's how excited I've gotten about other people needing to know about this thing that is real and alive and vibrant and effective and fruitful, you know. And I see so many people sit around, yes, brother, oh, yes, that's very, it's, oh, that's a load of crap. It's not interesting at all if nothing's happening. Amen. It's not. It's boring. It, you know, and, and if what we're experiencing in most of our churches, if that's what Jesus came to give us, I of all people am, am the most disappointed. But I happen to know that that's not what he, he didn't come to give us a philosophy. He didn't come to give us the ability to sit here and hear cool stories. He gave us the ability to go out and do what he did. Amen. Actually, he didn't just give us the ability. He gave us the command. Yes. And see, there's another load of crap in the church. New Testament, we're not under law. You should, the most frightening words in the Bible are the things that Jesus said. Amen. You know, the most, I mean, I know what we try, you know, we've made this effeminate, gentle, going to, he, 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 Jesus. And he wasn't like that. That guy was a man. He was strong. And he moved in some things, you know. I mean, and then when he speaks and the things that he says, I love what Mark Twain said. It's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand that really bother me. Yeah. You know, but we just ignore it. And we act like it's okay to live without power and to walk without kingdom experience. And guys, it's not. It's really not. And the problem is we're plugged into the tree of knowledge. And then we've got these bodies that are meant to be produced, uh, uh, producing and, and, and flowing and filled with life. And it's like, uh, like a computer or some electronic device, you know. You can have an electronic device and you can tinker with all of the instruments and you go and let's, you know, try to make everybody. Until you plug that thing into the source, nothing's going to happen. And that's what a lot of us are doing. We're going to self-help churches. We're going to self-help books. We're being motivated. We're being told how good we are and how much God loves us and how that's all that matters. And it's all we're filling ourselves with all of this knowledge and then we're wondering, how come I'm not coming on inside? Because we haven't disconnected from the knowledge and plugged into the life. Amen. As soon as you plug an instrument into the life, everything inside just begins to move and to flow and to come alive and then the light comes. You know, that's how it's meant to operate. That's how we're meant to operate. But you've got to get hungry for it. You need to go read, you know, reading your Bible is a good place to start. Praying is a good place to start, you know. Go talk with the Lord and let Him talk to you. Get into the Word, you know, and ask, Lord, what do you want to say to me? You know, what do you want to say? And I read a verse that's like, oh, I want to see people healed. And God's like, good, stay hungry for it and you'll see it happen. Amen. I want to see righteousness come into the church. Good, stay hungry for it and you'll see it happen. God, I want to see your people get off their butts and become effective. And dude, not a bunch of lazy slobs drinking milk and getting fat in their diapers. And God says, good, son, stay hungry for it and you'll see it happen. Amen. There's a man that came to me. He said, Dennis, God told me that you're a barley grain anointing. And I said, I've got no idea what that means, but okay. I'm charismatic. I'll take whatever you say, right? Yeah. Well, it's not supposed to be. Well, it turns out that barley grain 
It's a very sharp and prickly grain. And it's used to get what's blocked up moving. But at the same time, if you have your choice, barley grain isn't what you're going to pick. Yeah, give me a sharp grain that I can eat that kind of starts scraping through me. No, you're going to want chocolate cake, pumpkin pie with, you know, Cool Whip on top. And that's what we're going to reach. I'm not the guy you reach for. I'm the guy you need. Okay? And I know that can sound kind of arrogant, but I just, you, know, you have to come to a place where I'm going to be confident in who God called me to be. And he's building a spiritual house. We don't all get to be a beautiful front door. Some of you got to be a toilet. So I don't want to be a toilet. They try to have a house without a toilet. Every function is important. You know, even what we what we would see as dirty or despised. I don't want, but it's necessary. Be who God called you to be, and go after it the way God called you to go after it. There's plenty of sweetness in the church. I'm apparently the. I don't want to say bitter, because I'm really not bitter. I love you. Love you enough to tell the truth, you know? All right. Let's go Bible here real quick, okay? Yeah? I didn't think I fit in anywhere. This is a nice feeling. Ooh, more rejection going. Okay. All right. Are you guys okay? You okay to go a little farther? Cool. I'm going to start in Luke 14 and go to Revelations. Just kidding, and it's actually just Revelation. Everybody's like, Revelations! I'm like, well, it's just one Revelation, dude. Read the book. All right. Um, Luke 14, verses 16 through 20. It says, uh, Then he said to them, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. Surprise, surprise. And the first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask that you have me be excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife. I know many of us think that that's an excuse to separate from the things of God. I have a wife and I have children. I can't serve God anymore. Well, then you shouldn't have that wife and those kids because it's not worth your eternity. No, it's really not. And the excuse is that, okay, I'm going to get to that. Here we go. I have married a wife, so therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his masters. And then the master of his house, being a gentle, sweet, loving marshmallow in the sky, said to his servant, well, that's okay, I understand. Because they're more important than me and my kingdom, and I just love them so much. I love them so much that it's okay, just don't worry about it. Is that what it says? No. Why do we act like that's what it says? It says, no, the master being angry... Was like, okay, if those bunch of doofuses can't see straight to want what I'm offering them, then just go out and bring in whoever will come in. That's what he, and he says he was angry. Oh, but God doesn't get angry in the New Testament. The heck he doesn't. You know why we believe that? Because we don't read the Bible. Or if we do, we read so many books about so much nonsense by so many positive preachers. And I, listen, I'm a positive preacher. I'm positive if you don't live for him, you're going to hell. And I'm positive that if you do live for him, there's eternal rewards. But I'm positive that if you choose that, it comes with a cost. And I'm positive that it's going to cost you your life. And I'm positive that dying to yourself is the hardest thing that you'll ever have to do. But I'm also positive that if you do it, you'll find out, my God, what did I think I was living for in the first place? Yeah. Mm. This is the moment when I wish I had translation because I'm so used to a translator, I get moments to think in between yeah. my thoughts. But anyway, so that's what happens. So, but here's what he says in verse 24. For I say to you that all of those who were invited... Uh, but wouldn't come or welcome to come taste my supper because I love them so much. Is that what he said? 
No, it's not what he says. you got to read what Jesus said. Forget what a preacher told you Jesus said. Just read what Jesus said. Let him slap you back into reality, you know, the ultimate reality of all that is and all that matters. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now, where's the supper going to be? It's going to be when the bride and the lamb come together for eternity, right? Listen, if you're not at that supper, you're not in for any of it. That's what you got to catch here. Excuses. We live for excuses. And we sit with each other and talk about our excuses. And we all encourage each other to feel justified in our excuses. And all of us refuse to hold each other accountable. Because, well, since I'm not perfect, brother, I won't hold you accountable, but you can't hold me accountable because you're not perfect. Like, that's a great idea. Let's all go to hell together. Because that's what's going to happen. That's exactly what's going to happen. But he said, no. If you make these excuses, if you find these reasons, you don't know when the day is going to come. Like a thief in the night. And you're not going to be invited to the supper. He says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father, right? Isn't that what he said? I seem to recall that he says, narrow is the gate, and difficult or confined is the road that leads to life, and few there are that find it. And what I've discovered is that Jesus was not an exaggerator. He, said, he wasn't like us. I want to make a good point. He said what he meant. And broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are that find it. Many literally means majority. It's the same reason that he says that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and this and this in your name? He says, depart from me, workers of lawlessness. I have never knew you. The word many literally means majority. So we're talking about the majority of the people that say, Lord, Lord. We're not talking about the majority of people. We already know the majority of people reject the Lord and that they're headed to eternal damnation. He's saying the majority of the people that say, Lord, Lord, are not going to enter into the kingdom because they're workers of lawlessness, see? I mean, what is the last day's spirit? It's the spirit of lawlessness, right? And so many people in the church live in a spirit of lawlessness that we, we feel very comfortable and confident in the spirit of the age, and yet we, we think we're saved because we're lied to Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Christian after Christian. We do everything we can to appease each other and make each other feel better, and we're just patting ourselves on the back on the road to destruction. Um, yeah, now you wish I'd quit, huh? You know, so I really... I, I would like to think that if someone would have told me the cost back then, I would have still given my life to the Lord. But I can tell you, after the years that I wasted living as a victim, I said, Lord, I wish I would have known sooner. And, and really, what, you, know, you know what I learned? I had been saved for, let's see, 94, so it was 99, so I'd been saved five years. I had worked in a church of 4,000 people up in Michigan. I had been offered the associate pastorate of a church that had 500 people, but inside something gets in Dallas. Dallas. And I was like, shut up, I rebuke you, Satan. Because Dallas was my past. Dallas was my, where my dysfunctional family was. It was everything I didn't want to see or ever have to face again. Because see, I thought geographically, because I'd been liberated, I was liberated. But I didn't realize I wasn't liberated. And God had to take me back to a place to face old things to realize I really wasn't liberated. So my spiritual father, I talked to him, I said, I got this great job offer. I'm going to go work in this church at 500. The pastor wants to work with me and develop me. He said, well, I think you need to come to Dallas and work with me. Which meant no pay, and having to get a job as well as trying to work in ministry. And I'm sitting there saying, fine, I'll be there this summer. God was always saying Dallas, and I was rebuking the devil anyway, so I'm coming. So I came back, and like most of us, we go to the place God called us. What do we expect? Utopia. I'm going to prance on the flowers. Well, all hell broke loose. All hell broke loose. And I got reconnected with two friends from Bible college that were no longer serving the Lord, and I wanted to reach out to them. So I went to reach out to them on their ground. It's not the way you do things. Mm. So they take me to a restaurant 
full of their friends mm. who are all drinking, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, one, one glass of wine isn't a sin. So I had a glass of wine. Tasted good, didn't affect me. Second glass won't be a sin. Drank the second glass. Felt pretty good after the second glass, so didn't care if it was a sin. Went for the third glass anyway. After the third glass was feeling really good, so four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, that was just no problem at all. The next thing I know, I'm waking up at five o'clock in the morning on a friend's couch, driving back to my apartment, feeling like I, it's over. You know, I've been called to ministry. I've served in a church. I'm here to work in this ministry. And I just went, and I went out to reach out in the name of Jesus. And instead, I became a drunken fool in front of everybody. Not just ruined my testimony. I brought a reproach on the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what pained me the most. It wasn't about me at that moment. It was, so my roommate woke up the next morning and I'm on the couch at 5 a.m. And he's like, oh, what happened to you last night? You know, and I just start crying and telling him what happened. He said, I'm sorry, I've got to go to work, but I'll be praying for you. So... I got up and I started praying. I said, Lord, that's it. That's it. I've tried. I've tried over and over and over again. You called me and you saved me. And I've tried to do everything I can to prove to you that I was worth saving. And I can't do it because I failed time and time and time again. And last night, I blew it. I blew it beyond repair and it's all over. I give up. At which point I thought God would kind of go, you know, good. There you go. Go live your life. You're right. You really blew it. But what was cool, after I said, I give up, I can't do it, I mean, I never heard the Holy Spirit so clear. He said, good son, now that you finally see that, I can begin to do it. Amen. And it finally hit me that the God who saved me is the God that's got to sanctify me. Amen. And so many of us live trying to sanctify ourselves to prove to Him that we were worth saving when we weren't worth saving and we couldn't save ourselves. And He saved us because He loved us. And the only reason we could be saved is not just because He loved us, but because someone else paid the price because there had to be a judgment on sin. There had to be, you know, a, a price for that penalty. And it was done. And then He says, good. And now that you're saved, now all you have to do is trust Me to work it out in you. But so many of us won't do it. But that was a real revelation for me. And I began to allow the Lord to work it out in me. It gets easier, guys. It really gets easier if you can come to that place where you realize it's not on you. I mean, it's funny because here I stand and say, it's going to cost you your life, but it's not on you. But isn't that the irony of the gospel? Isn't that the irony of the kingdom of God? That none of it makes sense. It's free. It costs you your life. In dying, you live. In giving, you receive. In forgiving, you're healed. Not in payback. You're thinking, you know, I'm like, oh, this is so backwards. Well, it is kind of backwards by the standards of men, but that's because we're fallen and depraved. Um, but I want to ask you this, okay? Think, thinking about all of this, I, I, this is the question that I really got. What's your excuse? What is your excuse? We're good at excuses, and we can tell such good excuses. Listen, I was driving home one night after uh, a drunken uh, party, and I was so... I don't remember driving home. I woke up, I came to, and I was driving my car down the highway. And there I am at a traffic signal, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am really drunk. And I've just come to, and I thought, what am I going to do if I get pulled over? And I created this excuse I came up with. And I was so, it was such a good excuse that I knew if I got pulled over, they weren't going to take me to jail because that's how good my excuse was. But the truth is, I was just in a drunken stupor. I don't even remember what the excuse was. If I had been pulled over, I was going to jail. And a lot of us are making excuses that we think are so good that God's accepting them. Our excuse is so good that God understands we're not like we're not obligated to do what everybody else is obligated to do. And he knows that, listen, you're deceiving yourself. You're not in a drunken stupor, but you're in a, you're in a delirium-induced stupor. And you need to come out of it tonight. I want to share with you some things that come from the heart of God and from His Son, Jesus Christ, okay? 
if that's all right. I know it's five after nine. But in Isaiah 6, 8, you have this place where, where the Trinity is talking. You know, God is talking among himself. You know, and I know that's hard to explain, but we know there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's, and it's three who are one, yet the one are three. And you hear God saying this. He's saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, this is why I find, you may not have ever thought about this, but I find that very interesting because God's eyes go to and fro over the whole earth. God's not in time. You know, he steps back out of time and he can see beginning to end. He knows everything that is happening, everything that is going to happen, everything that has happened, and he knows it all at the same time and he's there in the midst of it all at the same moment. And here he's saying, whom, whom shall I send? Who can go for us? And they, Why is God asking this question? Is there something that God doesn't know? I mean, is there anything that's beyond the knowledge of God? He's omniscient. That means all-knowing. Well, God, what's this about? And the, what you're hearing is a cry from God's heart. He's looking across the whole earth, you know, and he's recognizing that after all I've done, that after all I've given, that after all that I've blessed with, after everything that I've done for man, after all of the love I've shown him, and even in the Old Testament, all of the grace, after Adam got it every right to just end it and start over. With Noah, he had every right just to end it and start over. You know, God had multiple times. I mean, then he's got fallen angels coming in and producing races and giants. Just so much stuff where God could have just said, I'm done with this. And I'm going to start over. But in his grace, he kept giving second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And he's still looking over the earth and he's saying, who can I send? There's nobody to go for me. And I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's really incredible that this is the cry of God's heart, that he looks over the whole planet that he created and gave life and blessing to and he can't find anybody to go for him. And when you look in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38, uh, you have a similar situation where Jesus is talking. I know it gets more serious now. It's not as fun as the stories, but, but it's important. But Jesus is there and it says, Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. So therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. So, you know, he's saying, look, the, the, he's saying the harvest is truly great, but the laborers, where are the laborers? You know, it's kind of like God saying, whom shall I send? Jesus is saying, where are the laborers? There's a harvest, but where are the people that are willing to work? And so you see the same thing in Jesus' heart when he's here on earth as Isaiah is catching from the Father's heart when he's up there, when he's getting this vision of heaven. And it's interesting because Jesus is laboring and he's moved with compassion. And if you look at Jesus' laboring of the kingdom, it says that he went out teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's me, if I'm going out and I'm preaching in all of the churches... And everywhere I go, I'm healing every kind of sickness and every kind of disease among the people. You know what I'm doing? I'm rejoicing and praising God. And I'm looking at people and say, see, see, the kingdom's here. Man, do you see what God... And I'm excited. And Jesus isn't. Because he's looking around and he's recognizing, I may be doing all of this, but where are the laborers to reach the rest? One man can't do it all. See? And we have a situation where one man moves in anointing from the Spirit. And everyone gets excited like it's the revelation of the kingdom. And Jesus is looking around, but don't you see all these people? 
Don't you see these hurting and lost and dying people? They're everywhere. It's like a multitude of sand on the seashore that are lost and headed to, to eternal damnation, you know? And you're getting excited about a few healings. And Jesus is looking around and saying, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep. Where are the laborers? Where are the laborers? Who is going to go out and do this? And he also knew that his time was short. So if people don't catch his heart and begin to do what he did, what's going to happen after he's gone? Amen. He saw them lost. He saw them weary. And he went after them with compassion. You know, that's another thing too. Jesus didn't go after them for the glory of his ministry. He didn't go after them to prove how great he was. He didn't go after them so he could get bigger offerings. He went after them because he had a heart of compassion. He had the heart of the Father for the lost creation that he cared about that were deeply moving his heart. In John 4, 35 and 36, he says, Open your eyes because the harvest is ripe. He's saying, now's the time for harvest, you know. We always think it's later. It's later. We can always do something later. But Jesus is saying, if you just open your eyes, if you just open your eyes, you would see that now is the time for the harvest. And at the end of Mark's gospel, he says, go. And the cool thing is when he says go, he immediately says, and I am with you. You know, if we would just recognize this, I know a lot of evangelists, they focus on the go. And they put all this pressure on you. You got to go, you got to go, you got to go. But I say, if you don't have the revelation, he's with you, then don't go. Amen. You need to stay until, you know, tarry in your Jerusalem until you're a dude with power on high and you have the revelation. Ah, he's in me. And he's with me. And he's for me. And when I go out, I go out in his power. And I go out in, you know, when you do that, then there's a confidence that can come. It's not just you trying to earn or to do or feeling this, you know, this sense of guilty obligation. It's that you recognize the Lord of the harvest is with me. And we're working together. And we're going to go and see this ripe harvest begin to come in for the glory of God. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because I, I, I think about when Satan looks at Jesus and he says, all this authority has been given me. And he shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world, you know. He says, I'll give this to you and I'll give that to you. All this authority has been given to me. And it's so cool because Jesus is like, all this authority? <laughs> I don't want all this authority, you loser. All authority has been given to me. And we choose the things of this world. We choose. The enemy comes to you and he says, all this authority has been given to me. You want a new house? I can give you a new house. Oh, I can happen to you. Man, Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. And it's been given to you and to me Amen. to go out and to do what he did. And we sell out for the cheap counter. It is always oh, it's such a crime. Really, it's such a crime to the eyes of God that we would be that way after all that he's done for us. Matthew 10, verses 1, verses 7 and 8. He says, go with power and authority. To he, what he gave... What he gave to them, the apostles that you read about, you know, we read about the New Testament church and we get so, oh, if it could only be like that, it's supposed to be better. We're supposed to go farther, you know. And what Jesus gave to them, he gave to us. What Jesus received for himself from the Father, he gave to us. You know, why? So that we could do the same things they did. So that we can do the same things that he did. And in verse 9, it's interesting because you read down from verse 9, and he basically says this, don't worry about money. Don't worry about if they receive you. I'll take care of them either way. Either they're going to be blessed and prospered because they receive the truth or shake the dust off your feet and don't worry, I'll take care of them when the day comes. You know, one of the things that holds us back the most is fear of man. What if they don't receive me? Well, what if they don't? So what? Shake the dust off your feet. Is there anybody here in sales? I used to be in sales. I used to sell cars. I used to sell roofing. I used to lease luxury apartments. I used to do uh, commercial real estate. I used to do residential real estate. You know, there's more rejection than there is acceptance. 
But for some reason, you know, every time I shook a hand to sell a car and they walked away, I thought, okay, one down, three to go. Amen. Because an average of one out of four people would buy a car from me. That was just the statistic. Why is it that we allow them to keep us away from bringing them into the kingdom? We'll go after them to sell them a car, but we won't go after them for the kingdom? I mean, that's, is that pretty rank or what? That is pretty rank, people. If you had a sales job where you knew that the reward was money, you'd go after people until you got them. But when it comes to going after them for the kingdom, it's just not worth the rejection that you might have to face. Yeah, they're going to reject you. So what? Who cares? But what about those moments you meet the person that needs the miracle? You meet the person whose family needs restoration. You meet the person whose marriage is falling apart, and they allow you to come in and minister to them. They allow you to come in and pray for them. The tumor disappears. The baby's healed of the leukemia. The deaf ears are open. The marriage is restored. The child gets delivered from drugs and demonic bondage. I mean, you know, come on. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Then why won't we live like it's worth it? We don't live like it's worth it. That's the truth. I mean, you're negative. I'm not negative. I'm positive. We don't live like it's worth it. It's obvious by the condition of our nation. If as many people who call themselves Christians were actually Christians, this would be a different country. Jesus is saying, just go. I need you. We don't like to accept that, but He needs us. He designed it that way. He said, I'm going, and now you're my body. If your feet don't go, I don't go. If your hands don't move, I don't move. If your mouth doesn't speak, I don't speak. That's how he designed it. Amen. Now, you don't have to like it. So, oh, Jesus does whatever he wants. He did what he wanted to do, and then he told us to go do it. He gave us everything that we needed. Then in Luke 10, he does the same thing, but this time he does it with the 70. And again, it's go. But he wants to encourage them because he's like, okay, I understand the 70 of you aren't, you're not like the 12 <laughs> apostles here. You know, you haven't quite had the time with me. You don't, you don't have the same energy and a, you don't feel quite as anointed. So let me encourage you. I want you to go and you're going to be like lambs to the slaughter. <laughs> so go encouraged. You're like lambs to the slaughter. Now go on out and do the work of the kingdom. You know? <laughs> Are you waiting for me to get done so you can play? No. Okay, just check it. Oh, <clears throat> okay. Here, let me just go ahead and uh, get to the... No, it's, I don't have a whole lot. It's good. And just before that... Here's the cool thing. Just before they go. So not only does he end by saying, you're like lambs to the slaughter, but just before they go, he says, listen, before I anoint you to go, I want to talk to you about something. It's called the cost of discipleship. Why won't we preach like he does? I mean, you know, Jesus... He's like, here's what it's going to cost you. Now go, and by the way, you're going to be like sheeps getting ready to be killed. See ya. But the cool thing is, he is going to see us. It's going to cost us everything. We're going to go like lambs to the slaughter, but he's going to see us, and we're going to see him for eternity. Amen. Isn't that enough? I mean, the sacrifice that we'll make to buy a depreciating vehicle is incredible. And what we won't do for the kingdom of God just literally blows my mind. It's not just because I'm a missionary. I kind of thought this way before I left. But when, when you get over to the other side of the world and you begin to see a whole other reality, you really begin to wonder these things. You know, really, you needed a $50,000 car that you can't even afford the payment on when you could have bought a $30,000 car and you could have given the rest of that money to serve the kingdom and you would have had eternal rewards for that. Instead, in about two and a half years, your car will be worth half what it was. You'll be upside down. And then you really not have money to give to any missions. Well, that's just brilliant. That's the smartest thing that I've ever heard not. <laughs> mm. It's not about us. It's about Him. Amen. You know, Christianity is not manianity. 
But we have made man the center of our Christianity. We need, Jesus Christ needs to become the center of our Christianity again. Amen. I mean, what, what more could he do for us? It, it just it blows my mind that, that he, here's a God who in his love gave his son. A son who in his love allowed his body to be broken beyond recognition. That was before he ever, you know, he went through so much before he ever got to the cross. He had been beaten beyond recognition, beard ripped out of his face, thorns shoved into his head. Then the spikes go in and they put him up on a cross, you know, and he does all of that for you and me. And then just when the enemy thinks he's got him defeated, Jesus resurrects from the dead. He brings newness of life to everybody that will receive. When he ascends to heaven, he pours out his Holy Spirit so that not just are we now saved and forgiven, but we actually have the ability to live in victory. We have the ability to live a supernatural life. We have the ability to walk in a power, a wisdom, and an understanding that are so contrary to this world that the world would mock and ridicule us. But if you ever catch it, you'll realize, poor them. Poor them. You won't care what they say about you. Oh, God, open their eyes. They're so deceived. This is what he did for us, and we still live our lives today like... If he doesn't do something fresh for me today, then it's not worth it. If he doesn't take care of this little pain that I'm dealing with today, it's not worth it. Man, get up. Get up. All power and authority in heaven and earth has been given from him to you. Why won't you just get up and use it? If he were here today, you know what he would say? He'd say, oh, oh ye of little faith. If only you would believe, you'd see the great things of God. Oh, God, I want to see your greatness. Really? Then believe. Get up and believe. But how do I believe? Well, you start at least start doing what His Word said. There's a good beginning point. I don't have faith to raise the dead. Well, do you have faith to speak? Then speak to the dead. You never know when it's going to happen. Put your hands on a sick person. You never know when it's going to happen. Don't get 50 people together and beg God to do something He told you to do. Amen. Oh, if I can get 100 people on Facebook to get a chain going, then God's going, no, He's not. He said, you do it. <laughs> you go do it. That's what Jesus said. The problem is we won't do it the way that He said, and then we don't see the results, and we get disappointed with Him. Yeah. Shame on you. Sorry. <laughs> He's looking for laborers. Here's the interesting thing. Did you notice that Jesus, from God's view, from his focal point, he never says that the harvest is the problem. See, what do we say? People won't receive me. The ground is too hard. The culture is too closed. The oppression is too strong. God never said that that was the problem. He said the harvest is ripe. He said the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. You see the excuses? But it's too hard. But it's too difficult. But I don't know. You're the problem. There's no laborers. At least none that want to work his field. A lot of us will labor for our own field. But we're not going to go labor for his vineyard. And I'm sorry, his grapes are a lot sweeter. His wine's a lot better. It's intoxicating without getting you drunk, you know? It's so sweet, but it's not, it doesn't cause diabetes. It's really good. And what's interesting, he also says he's looking for laborers. He says, pray for laborers to be sent. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. So what he's saying is, Eric, I want you to pray for laborers to work in my harvest field. And as soon as you're done praying for them, I want you to go and work in my harvest field. You don't get to choose one or the other. You know, I'm just more of a prayer than I want. No, you're not. You pray for laborers, and then you go. That's what he wants you to do. What's your excuse? Romans 10, 14, how are they going to hear without a preacher? They can't. That's how God designed it to be. If you won't open your mouth, how are they going to hear? God has surrounded you by people. At your work, in your families. I mean, how many of you have demonized relatives? Every single one of you do. You might have them here with you. I don't know. But there's people that need them, and you need to open your mouth and let them know. James 4, 2, Matthew 7, 7, John 16, 24. He says, ask. 
Just ask. If we would just pray and ask, there's so much that God would do. And he says that in John 16, 24, he says that if we would ask, then our joy would, make, would be made full and complete. I mean, would you like some complete joy? Yes. Start asking the Lord to raise up labor. Start asking the Lord to make you a labor. Start asking Him to move through you in power. Ask Him to put you in positions that challenge you and force you to step and say, give me a kick in the butt so I can go forward. Amen. That's what, really, ask Him to do it. He'll do it for you. Do you know the word prosper in the Hebrew doesn't mean your bank account will be full? Even if your bank account was full, I, do you trust these guys? I mean, really, how many people lost how much in the last failure? That's not even as big as what could potentially come. And this is where we put our trust. Prosperity means that the Lord literally comes along behind you and begins to push you forward. Now, I could use that kind of prosperity. You know, you're standing there, God just, well, okay, okay, ooh, okay, all right, yeah, okay, yeah. And you just find yourself in a new place because the force of God has been driving you forward. That's what the word prosper means, and He wants to prosper His people. We've got to quit letting the devil pervert it all. He perverts the word prosperity, we quit using it. He perverts the word faith, we quit using it. No, we need to take it back. Amen. We need to use it for what it really is. It belongs to us. It doesn't belong to Him. So many look for position and influence in the church. And it's so ridiculous because the work is out there. God needs you out there. He's looking for you to work out there. He'll release the gifts of the kingdom through you out there. If you'll start to labor out there. Well, I've got an interesting word here I'll share with you. The word is close. So apparently I'm at the close. So I don't know what y'all want to do. That that. I don't know if you want an emotional... Musical closing. I've still got, you know, my, my closings are like five minutes, okay? Is that okay? Y'all love him? Yeah. yeah. I'm glad somebody does. Does it sound familiar? Yeah. Right? He hasn't heard us. He doesn't know what we do. Oh, that's Processor. He, he is. He's going to bring a closing. I'm going to tell you something. If you're sick, don't let him leave this building. You can hear a great message. If it's not mingled with faith, it's mm -hmm. of no value to you. Yeah. No. Yeah. If your heart was yeah, God, see, I, I admired that guy that put you on the spot. No, I did too. The other one? If you heard this and you know good and well that you've been full of excuses and you're not doing the very things he's told you to do, quit being a pansy. Get up out of your seat and come and commit yourself to a position. God called laborers, not sleepers. A son who sleeps during the harvest is slothful. Mm. It's a disgrace. Mm. He didn't call you to minister to your bud. That's a great, great preacher's life. <laughs> In these seats. He called you to work. Amen. I'm going to give this back to him. Matthew's going to play music because that's what we do. I don't, know, I don't know why we do that. We do it too. It's just okay. nice. I like yeah, it. I don't, I don't know. But it, somehow or another, it like greases the aisle or something. <laughs> don't be a coward. Run up here and get what you need. Yes. See if you can be first. Get what you need. And it doesn't come from Dennis. It doesn't come from me. For ordinary people. Mm -hmm. But you know what? You can commit yourself to a faithful position. And you'll get it from God. Amen. And I learned a long time ago that if you make a commitment in private, it's easily put away in private. Make it public. Tell everybody you know. Call them on the phone tonight. Tell them you're going to make good on your commitment. And then do what you say you're going to do. Mm -hmm. It's back to you.
Okay, well, you took half the closing. It's I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just don't have to say it now. I should, I should, if it didn't look rude, I would have marked things off while you were talking. Um, well, this kind of is different, but you know, blind Bartimaeus, you know the story of him? Matthew 10, verses 46 through 52. Uh, there's a story of blind Bartimaeus, and he's one of, I think, one of two blind men sitting on the side of the road, and he hears that Jesus is coming, and Jesus is off at a distance, so he starts shouting out. He says, Jesus! Son of David! Have mercy on me! And all the people are going, shut up, blind Bartimaeus. Just leave the guy alone. You know, kind of an embarrassment. You know, that here's this blind, you just need to be seen and not heard, even though you can't see. And there's like, so, so just be quiet. Stop marrying us. It's a good teacher. It's going, it's, no, no, Jesus! Son of David! Have mercy on me! And it's interesting because it says that when Jesus heard him, he stopped. You know, there's something about calling out to him that can stop him in his tracks, even when we're not where he was headed to. And this guy didn't care what the people around him were saying. He didn't care if he looked like a fool. He didn't care if he was embarrassing his family or anything else. In fact, he didn't even care if he was taking the good teacher's time. All he knew was one thing. There's something that I need, and I've heard that this guy has it for me. And he was willing to cry out until he got it. And see, for most of us, we take a very passive approach to the Lord. Dear Jesus, if you love me and you'll do this for me, then I'll take it. Amen. And then we wonder why nothing happens. Or Lord, why won't you get me out of this pit? But we don't really take the time to cry out. To get away from everything else. Say, Lord, no, until I get this, until I meet you for this, until I see you for this, there's nothing else that matters. And you've got to understand something. It may be free, but it doesn't come easy. And I've learned that over years and years and years. You're talking to a guy who struggled to have a prayer life for years, who now can pray for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, and it's just a joy. When people used to get up and say, I was praying today for two hours and the Lord spoke to me, I was in my chair and I was like, liar. Nobody can pray for two hours. There's not that much to pray about. And these people that are hearing Jesus all the time, well, I'm kind of worried about what they're... You know, that's how I felt. Because if I wasn't experiencing it, then nobody was experiencing it. That's, that's how I was. I was very critical and analytical. And uh, it took a lot for God to deliver me from that. But it drove me to prayer. It drove me deeper towards Him. It caused me to seek Him for more. And I'm just telling you, you can say you want it tonight. And I know this is going to sound kind of hard. But I was in a church in Romania in another town and I was preaching about faith and all of these healings and things and this woman stands up in the back and listen, I was hungry and it was lunchtime and I was preaching long like tonight. So I'm ready to close the message and I'm thinking, oh, I'll just say a nice sweet general prayer and I'm going to go eat this lunch they made because I'm not really, I'm, that's how spiritual I was today. I was like, I'm going to look good and go eat. And this woman stands up in the back and she shouts something out. And I looked at the translator and said, well, what did, what did she say? He said, her nephew is deaf and she wants to know if you'll pray for him. I think, well, I can't really get around that, can I? So I said, well, is he here? So he was there and they brought this little 12-year-old boy up and prayed for him. And he was stone deaf. I thought, well, that looks really good, Lord. I've given all these testimonies. Talked about all this stuff about faith. This woman stands up and shouts out in the middle of the message or at the end of the message. And this is what she gets. I was like, I don't, I don't believe that's you. So I said, all right, we're going to pray for him again. So we prayed for him again. On the second time, God healed him. At that moment, the pastor called for everyone who needed prayer to come. So what happens? The whole church said, well, there was no lunch that day. But let me tell you, I wouldn't have missed it for anything. Amen. Because there were old people who were getting healed from old people things that were simply caused because they were old people. <laughs> One lady, he came over to me and he said, hey, did you pray for the blind woman? And I said, I didn't know there was a blind woman. Which lady? So he points at this lady on the front row. He says, that sister right there. I said, I didn't know she was blind. She had me pray for her knees. So we went over there. We said, hey, sister. I said, 
why'd you have me pray for your knees if you're blind? And she said, because my knees hurt, my eyes don't. And I was kind of like, that actually makes sense. So I said, well, would you like me to pray for your eyes? And she said, do you think God will do something for my eyes? I was like, he healed your knees. Why wouldn't he heal your eyes? All right, pray for my eyes. So I prayed for her eyes. And I said, all right, oh, oh, glory. And she starts, I said, oh, come on, how are you doing? She said, I can see shapes. And I'm like, well, no, no, there's more. You think there's more? I said, well, let's find out if there's more. Okay, pray some more. So we prayed some more. And that day, she walked home for the first time in eight years on her own. Okay? So, with that. <coughs> I don't mind praying for anybody. I really don't. But if it's just a moment, but you're going to leave and go back to Facebook and Messenger and television and it's not going to matter a hill of beans, you could respect me and let me go to sleep. You know, don't, don't waste my time or the Lord's. And I, I'm, I'm saying that sincerely not to keep you away. But see, like that woman was hungry. And she wasn't going to let go. And because she wasn't going to let go, I put aside all my selfish, fleshly stuff. And even when he wasn't healed, it was like, no, Lord, I saw. I saw. You know, I saw the heart of this woman crying out in faith because of what she heard the Lord had done. And it got my attention and it got the Lord's. And I wasn't letting go till something happened. And it opened the door for so much more to happen. But if you don't have a hungry heart like hers, don't waste the time. Because what's the point in me praying for you and maybe prophesying to you if you're just going to go and do nothing with it? What, what's the point? Do you know that in Corinthians, Paul actually turned two people over to Satan for their blasphemy? And if you read a couple of verses down, their blasphemy is that they didn't hold on to the prophetic words the Lord gave them. See, we think it's just oops, I forgot, or, or we just didn't take it important. If the Lord says it's blasphemy, when I give you a word for your life and you don't hold on to it and allow it to bear fruit, I mean, that's serious, people. Don't put yourself in that position. Do not come up tonight and make yourself a blasphemer. But if you're ready to receive something, you know, if you're hungry and you're willing to take it, and you're willing to go out and do something with it and seek the Lord for it, I mean, there's nothing I can do tonight that's going to change your life, but maybe plant a seed, but if you go water it, then God will bring some increase to it. Because one can sow and another can water, but it's up to God to bring the increase. So he still goes through this thing, whom shall I send? And who will go for me? So what I, what I want to ask is for us to start listening. See, don't think about this. Don't, don't think about this message for your husband, or for your wife, or for an unsaved relative. I'm talking to you. This is for you. Forget about the speck right now. I want to deal with the log in your eye. I want to deal with the log in my own eye too. You know, I'm not being vain, but I did kind of go. You know, Romania is kind of far from Texas. And I at least went. I don't know how good I'm doing with the rest of it, but by God's grace, things are happening. But let's get, the, you know, some of us, we are beating people to death because we're so busy focused on that speck in their eye and we don't realize we are just, we are beating the crap out of them with that log that we don't remove. And I'm telling you, we're selfish about all the wrong things and then we're not selfish where we need to be. We need to examine ourselves. We need to look at where we are and we need to ask the Lord tonight, what about me? And you may feel you're unclean. Listen, guys, I'm telling you, I, you know, dirty details I don't like. It's enough to say that I can tell you this. I don't know why I was so abusive with the things. I, I mean, I'm given to extremes. You know, there, there's New Year's Eves that I, or New Year's Days that I woke up in the past, and when I blew my nose, nothing but blood came out from the amount of cocaine I had done the night before. Blackouts were common. I had a DWI, a hit and run, and assaulting a police officer, and I don't remember leaving the party. 
You can feel unworthy. And you can feel unclean, and so did Isaiah. But the Lord came and took a coal and put it on his lips. And he says, I've made you clean. And then Isaiah said, I'll go for you, right? Just because of the coal off of an altar. We've got something better than coal. We've got the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. We've got the Holy Spirit. I mean, if Isaiah could do it with a coal from the altar, how much more can you and I go with what the Lord has given to us through the sacrifice of His Son? Amen. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Close your eyes. And I just want to ask you to take a moment and let the Lord speak to you. See, it's very important that we don't mistake conviction and condemnation. Condemnation comes from the devil. And he, he takes the words... See, the devil can take the words that I've said tonight if you're given to condemnation and make you feel like what I've done is accused you and made you feel unworthy. But if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, he'll take the same words and what he'll do is cause you to <laughs> hunger and thirst and cry out and seek for more of him. So Lord, what we're asking for tonight is not obligation but revelation. Lord, a revelation... You're, that God, when you say that the only reason we can love you is because you first loved us, Lord, we need a revelation of the love that was given to us through the gift of Jesus Christ. We need that revelation that causes our hearts to, to love you more fully, to hunger for you more intimately, to go after you more deeply, Lord, so that we don't get up and say, oh, I've got to go talk to someone because I'm obligated, but we say, Lord, I love you so much. Oh, God, the things that you've done for me, how can I not go and tell it, Lord? God, give us that kind of love and that kind of hunger. And Lord, you know every excuse that's been made by every heart in this room tonight, including mine, and I'm asking you right now, Holy Spirit, to let the breath of God begin to blow into this place. Because Lord, there can be a valley of dry bones that are brought together with sinews and muscles and flesh, and it can look like a body, but until you breathe life, there's nothing there. Lord, you formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. Everything was made. Everything was formed. But until you breathed, there was no life. I'm asking you to breathe life here tonight. Just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm willing to see it. I ask you to show me every excuse. Show me the log, Lord. Because I don't want to leave here tonight with that thing hanging out of my eye anymore. I want to leave changed. I want to leave free. And I want to be transformed by the power of your Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Pour out in this place tonight. And begin to speak to every heart in a personal way. Let the wind blow, Lord. Let it blow, Lord. Let it blow, Lord. Let it blow, Lord. It's okay if he does a little cutting tonight. He does it so you can be healed. So just receive it. If you know the Lord's speaking something specific to you, if everyone keep their eyes closed because it's really personal, it's not anyone else's business, but I just ask you to stand up as a